2018 U.S. midterm elections proved to be a record-breaking one for women, minorities, and LGBT candidates, with more of them winning than ever before. Welcome to Talk Iran. This is Salman Askeri. My next guest was among the winners of this year's midterm elections. Ana Eskamani is a 28-year-old Orlando native, the first ever Iranian-American to be elected to the Florida legislature, and one of only a handful of Iranian-Americans to ever be elected to public office in the U.S. On November 6th of this year, she won the seat to serve Florida's House District 47 in the Florida House of Representatives. State Representative Eskamani has been a lifelong community builder, having led several community-based campaigns in support of various progressive causes. For the past six years, she served as a senior director for Planned Parenthood of Southwest and Central Florida, where she managed a team across 22 counties. She's known in the legislature and across the nation as an advocate for women's health and equality and currently works at NEO Philanthropy, serving as their state strategic advisor in Florida. Anna has dual bachelor's and master's degrees from University of Central Florida and continues her academics as a PhD student in public affairs at the same institution. She and I talk about her historic win, her family background, and why she decided to run, why Iranian Americans have shied away from running for public office in the U.S., national politics and President Trump, her platform and how she plans to achieve her objectives as a state representative, her future plans, and other topics. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with State Representative Anna Eskamani. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Congratulations on your win. Thank you so much. So you defeated Stockton Reeves in Florida House District 47 to become the first Iranian-American ever in the Florida legislature. You got 57% of the votes. He got 43% of the votes. May we call that a landslide? I think we can. I think we can. And I, and I want listeners to know, too, that you know this, is, this seat's in Orlando, Florida. Um, it's also home to Pulse Nightclub. And so you know, for me, as a progressive Democrat, there are so many issues that I care about that um, intersect, whether it's equality for all or gun safety or making sure that we have um, safe streets and and uh, good public education. But this district was branded as a toss-up with a small Democratic leaning. So um, the fact that we won it and we also flipped it from Republican to Democrat, um, you know, is, is, is pretty impressive on multiple levels. Great. Yeah. So what are your general thoughts on what happened on election night? Would you call it a blue wave or is it more of a blue trickle? There are a lot of differing opinions on what yeah, actually happened. It's a good question. You know, on the campaign trail, I never used any of that language. I, I never talked about our race um, as being branded as a blue wave. I focused on our vision for the future and uh, painting that picture in a way where everyone could be a part of it. Because I felt like if I said blue wave, it would isolate Republicans and no party affiliation voters who might still want to subscribe to my um, progressive perspectives, but would feel like they couldn't if I used that rhetoric. So, but looking back at on election night, I think it was a victory for Democrats on multiple levels. I mean, across the country, we saw a lot of firsts, you know, including myself, but people in Congress as well, having the first Muslim women elected to Congress and also um, taking back the House for Democrats. 
I will say in Florida, there were a lot of mixed emotions. Um, as a Democrat, I was disappointed uh, in the outcome of our governor race and of our U.S. Senate race. And so, yeah. um, you know, I go into the Florida House as a minority, but we are now uh, 47 strong in the Florida House out of 120 compared to 41 last session. So, you know, there are there are strides being made. Yeah, I was going to go there, actually. So uh, Republicans have a very strong majority in both the House and the Senate and the state. That gives you a big uphill battle in terms of you know, delivering your agenda and going after what you want to go after. How do you see that? Uh, what are you going to do to overcome the Republicans in a sense? Well, I, I think safe to say as an Iranian American, um, I have a lot of grit and I have a lot of grace and that, that flows in my blood. <laughs> And so uh, my entire existence has been grounded in having to fight. Um, and I actually worked at Planned Parenthood of Southwest and Central Florida for six years before I embarked on my journey to run for office. And so I, I've i known nothing but a hostile political environment. And I think what's key for me is relationship building. And um, I've already had the chance in my 10 years of advocacy to build relationships with Republicans um, and no party affiliation uh, uh, constituents alongside community leaders. And I was in Tallahassee for my new member orientation, one freshman out of 41 and 17 are Democrats. The rest are Republicans. And I was doing my part to really get to know my freshman class, because I think that um, we have to work across the aisle to get good policy passed. And I'm hopeful that uh, on issues like mental health funding, on issues like environmental protection, on issues like election reform. We can find common ground without partisan bickering. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, I'm ready to be on defense when it comes to protecting the issues that do matter to me, um, like reproductive health, like LGBTQ equality. So it's, it's going to be the notion of building bridges when you can, but holding people accountable when you must. So speaking of being Iranian-American, you were one of three Iranian-Americans that got elected on election night this year. The other two being Senator Anna Kaplan for uh, uh, New York State Senate and Senator Zahra Karenshak for Georgia State. I can't think of many other Iranian-Americans. I think there may be a handful of Iranian-Americans having been elected to office. Off the top of my head, I can think of Cyrus Habib in Washington State. There's also the mayor of Beverly Hills, I think, has been yes, Iranian-American. here in, uh, I think, Atlanta City Council. Yeah. You can probably count it with two hands, though. I, I don't, I think it is, you know, too small of a number. Right. And by some estimates, there are close to, what, a million Iranian-Americans in the U.S. So what are your thoughts on why Iranians shy away from running for public office? It's a really great question. I have to tell you, when I was when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in a as a working class family. So my parents came from two different parts of Iran, but they met in Orlando, wow. um, working at the same donut shop. And so That's my parents, cool. yeah, they always struggled. My mom was a more authentic in her Iranian identity. My dad was more shy to talk about it because he was worried about the um, stigma he could face and wanted to protect himself, but my mom recognized his accent and so asked him where he was from and the rest was history. Right. Um, and then our mom passed away to cancer when I was 13 years old. My boldness in my cultural identity is also how I stay connected to her, you know, in loss. But I remember growing up and my parents talking about how politics really ruined Iran. And my mom, as an example, um, never wanted to wear a headscarf. She never saw her sisters for over a decade. And when she was making a trip to go back to Iran before her illness got worse, 
her doctor told her she couldn't leave the country because she was getting more sick. Mm. And so politics kept her divided from her sisters. And then, you know, my, my dad would rather have had me study physics, biology, or chemistry. I mean, that was his advice to me when I went into college. <laughs> and so I think there's this inclination that politics is bad. Don't get involved. Yeah. Keep your head down. Get a good job. Get married. Have a family. And, and that's it. You know, yeah. don't worry yeah. about anything else. And so I think that's one reason why we don't see Iranians as engaged in advocacy and in running for office because it's just the um, the, the concern and the fear of what that looks like. So in what, real life. Made you wanna, what made you want to rebel and go the other way? Uh, I mentioned my mom. So, yeah. you know, my mom was um, such a giver and she gave so much and yet never achieved the American dream. I mean, she worked at minimum wage restaurants. Her last job was at Kmart as a department store manager. And as my family was saving up to buy a new home where my sister and I would actually have our own bedrooms after sharing a room for 13 years, we we're going to have our own space. Uh, my mom only spent you know, one night in that home because she had to go to the mm. hospital and that's when she passed away. Mm. So I, I just ground myself in the struggles of my family and that, that committed my life to service. And I was always an advocate you know, from day one. I mean, my first action of collecting petitions was actually when I was 10 years old and my best friend at the time was being moved to a different classroom and I refused to let that happen because we wouldn't have lunch together anymore. So I launched a petition in my classroom and, you know, tried to stop that from happening. Nice, nice. <laughs> so I had this bug for it. And then when my mom passed away, I, I made a decision that I honor her life, the act of empowering others. And I actually first started at the University of Central Florida involved in environmental movement um, because I, I'm a vegetarian I care deeply about sustainability. So I was volunteering at the UCF Arboretum and doing work around um, green technologies. And I then I shifted gears to advocacy for human rights in Iran because it was 2009 and there was the election in Iran that was stolen um, by the, um, the government at hand. And so I began wearing a green wristband and uh, collecting human rights petitions for issues in Iran. And that summer, 2010, the only two groups tabling were the Iranian Student Organization and the College Democrats at UCF. And so that's when I got more involved on domestic issues and, um, you know, began to find my voice specifically on women's issues, especially, but advocating for an array of issues that impact students and Floridians. So that's kind of the evolution. And then I was um, offered a job at Planned Parenthood in 2012. I became a Planned Parenthood patient in 2008 because my mom had passed away and I had no one to talk to about birth control or um, sexual assault or violence and Planned Parenthood was there for me so I could start a method of contraception that was right for me as I entered college. And so I started volunteering at Planned Parenthood and like I said, was offered a job in 2012. What can Iranian Americans do to be more engaged politically in the US? You know, what's funny is I look at our campaign as an example, and our, our District 47 is about 85% white. Um, we don't have a large Iranian-American population in Central Florida. When I went to school, um, the only Iranian-American classmate I had in most cases was my twin sister. And then I would meet one or two Iranians here and there, but it, it's not necessarily a large community, and, and it's a community that comes together around holidays, but that's pretty much it. And so... I, my advice would be to would to look at like look at a mirror and really reflect on what can we do to support 
one another in a more transformational way. We raised in our campaign over $500,000. We raised about $523,000. Only about, and I say only because in the bigger picture of our budget, it's a small number, but I know it's still a big number, but only about $40,000 came from the Iranian community. And that was a large chunk came from one Iranian who learned about our campaign much, much later Mm -hmm. because Uh of an attack that we had faced based on my Iranian identity. Um, There was a push poll in the district that asked voters if they would still support Ana Esclani if they knew that she had close ties to the Islamic Republic of Iran, the largest creator of terrorism. (laughs) So this was a push poll in the district. And when that happened, um, you know, a local Iranian well, an Iranian site and connected with us and, you know, made a major contribution. But beyond that, um, you know, there were so there were there was there could have been so much more engagement from Iranian Americans across the country and it never happened um, until after we won. And so I think that speaks to a proactive nature that we can embrace to really flex our political muscles and and organize, you know, support um, engagement with your local elected official Ask, ask them about Iran and um, their thoughts on these issues we already discussed and consider embracing political engagement you know, at, at a local level and get involved in your community beyond Iranian-American networks. You know, For me, my work at Planned Parenthood, my relationships at the University of Central Florida, my volunteerism on different nonprofit boards and with the Democratic Party – is really what built my campaign and you know got us to the finish line. Being Iranian American has always been a part of my life, but it, it wasn't the Iranian American community that got us to the finish line. And and I think that that's kind of a lost opportunity for Iranians because we know that across the country, Iranian Americans are one of the most successful um, mm-hmm. cultural groups, and yet the engagement in politics is is not as robust as it could be. So I think there's a lot to be um, a, a lot to be felt. You know, a lot of potential for us to become more engaged, to support one another, and um, continue to elect you know, more Iranian Americans to every level of government. And I, I want to add, too, that something that's been really remarkable for me is the involvement of young Iranian Americans on our campaign. Our very first uh, press conference we did on the steps of City Hall when we announced our campaign, a, um, a student from Rollins College, her name is Sunny, appeared out of nowhere. And she said she's Iranian American. She read about our campaign and wants to get involved. And Sunny became one of our first interns and uh, was with us from the beginning to the finish line and will continue to be engaged with us now as a legislative office. And so that gives me hope, you know, for more Iranian American engagement. And Sunny is is uh, is one example. Um, Layla is a high school student who you know, met us um, on the campaign trail and has gotten involved and was one of our high school interns this past semester. So those are the little moments where I look around, I look around myself and the people involved, and I I feel hopeful for the continued engagement of Iranian Americans in this work. But we really have to be there for one another and to demonstrate through through example of of (laughs) the importance of running for office, but also its impact on our community. And how we can be there for one another in in a really meaningful way. There's been some uptick in engagement recently in the past few years. I think the signs are there. Uh, folks such as yourself and the other um, ladies I mentioned, I think it's very encouraging to see that we're getting more involved. 
being the only Iranian American in the Florida legislature, I assume a lot of the responsibility of explaining Iranian politics falls on your shoulders, even though I don't know how much there is to do regarding Iran if you're in state politics. I assume a lot of your colleagues will come to you and you'll be the voice for uh, Iranians or Iranian-Americans and the interests of Iranian-Americans within Florida. How uh, are you planning on handling that? There's an immense pressure that I feel on my shoulders. Um, As a representative of the Iranian-American community, I think that even my existence challenges what most people think about when they hear Iran or they read about Iran especially my conservative colleagues who probably have a lot of assumptions about the Iranian people. And my presence alone can be deemed as radical for some. Um, And so it's a unique opportunity to have that conversation and teach people about the history of Iran and the people of Iran and, you know, open up their eyes to the potential of peace one day. To that point, when I was on the campaign trail, it was pretty cool how many times I would hear someone share a story about an Iranian that they knew. I mean, I would hear stories about, oh, my college roommate was Iranian. My first boss was Iranian. Do you know so-and-so? You know, and it and it helped to start the conversation of, you know, people were proud to say they knew someone who was Iranian. And I, and I think that's positive, you know, because it, it helps to break the stereotypes and um, build relationships. When it comes to a policy lens, you know, I've, I've already been vocal on politics in Iran. I'll continue to educate my colleagues and if they come to me with a question, I want them to feel comfortable asking me so no assumptions are made. And one of my plans is to actually host Persian Day at the Capitol, and we'll do it um, in conjunction with the Persian New Year, Nowruz, as an effort to invite legislators and their staff alongside local Iranian community in Tallahassee nice. to celebrate and to teach our culture. Because um, I do think that you know through food, music, dance, we can help build relationships um, with those who perhaps have antagonized Iran and the Iranian people in the past, and we can use this as a teaching opportunity. So um, the U.S. just implemented a new round of sanctions against the Iranian government. Donald Trump has been very anti-Iranian in his politics, and there is this maximum pressure policy that's being applied towards Iran. Is there anything that can be done at the state level in Florida besides raising awareness and all the, you know, what you just talked about to sort of affect policy in any way at the national level? That's a really great question. We are limited at a state level of what action we can take to impact the sanctions, um, to even lift the travel ban as another example. You know, as a state legislature, we don't necessarily have a huge say on federal uh, foreign policy. What I will say is that as a legislative office, I can play a role in facilitating um, support services and also uh, working with members of Congress and our U.S. senators to pass meaningful policy that won't impact and degrade the experiences of middle class Iranians. I'll tell you that since we uh, won on November 6th, I've received hundreds of messages from Iranians about these very issues ranging from their concerns about the travel ban to needing help with visas to um, sanctions restricting their access to medicine. And and again, for me, I, I do my best to respond to every message and to try to connect these folks to people who can help them. Um, I do have every intention as a legislative office for us to have the ability to support questions around visas. 
Mm-hmm. I had a, um, an Iranian PhD student email me today who goes to school in, in Tallahassee at, at the, at Florida state university needing help with her visa. And again, my legislative, um, Opportunities are limited when it comes to passing policy on visas, but I can't connect her to her member of Congress. I connect her to immigration attorneys. My office can have that that knowledge to be a resource, and I will definitely take every step I can to you know be helpful in whatever level I can. So moving away from Iran, uh, you've talked about your opportunity agenda. Can you touch on that? What are the components of your opportunity agenda and what are your overall objectives as a state representative? So we crafted Anna's opportunity agenda after a year on the campaign trail because I launched uh, our campaign on July 3rd of 2017. (laughs) So we were knocking on doors, raising money, talking to voters for 16 months. And I didn't want to ever make assumptions about what our district needs until I actually listened to the district. I mean, I grew up in Orlando. I went to school here. I feel like I've always had a good grasp, but I'm not an uh, expert on every issue. So I really wanted to meet with stakeholders and talk to voters face-to-face before we crafted our platform. Um, So Honest Opportunity Agenda is 13 levels of issues. But we, we our priority issues really focus on environmental protection, um, enhancing public education and building a healthcare system that works for all. Um, to that point, my priority legislation will focus on on those issues in particular, alongside reducing gun violence as well, um, and trying to build a tech community and infrastructure in Florida. Forty minutes away from me is Florida Space Coast, where we have brought people to the moon and back. And yet uh, our Space Coast is competing with now a a worldwide uh, commercialization effort. And I want to make sure that not only are we leaders when it comes to working with the private sector, but we also remain leaders in the research field and deep space exploration. So I, I have every intention to actually launch a space policy caucus with my colleagues who have offices in Brevard County next door where the space port is. Um, so we can uh, support Florida's growth in that realm. So I, I do consider myself to be a, an expert on multiple issues and as a legislator who does her homework. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to not only pushing the policies that are a priority for everyday Floridians just to live life day by day, but to also think into the future of embracing disruptors that technology brings and making sure Florida is ready for that, along with our workforce. Obviously, we had the midterms that gave Democrats control of the House. What can the Democrats now do with their newfound power that they couldn't have done before the elections? Well, Democrats in the in the U.S. House have a, a really unique opportunity right now. I mean, I think step one is to uh, do whatever is possible in holding President Trump accountable. I mean, for example, one of the first things that I feel like our House Democrats should do is create a special investigative committee on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and look into all of this, all the documents that are available via the CIA and also seek more insight into President Trump and um, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner's personal investments in Saudi Arabia to see if there's any conflict that we should be concerned about. I mean, in the past, there was no opportunity for such investigations, and now there is. And so um, I think that our House Democrats need to be very proactive 
and asking the courageous questions and doing this type of this type of digging. Um, we also can set an agenda when it comes to pushing forward election reform, protecting the ACA, and doing our part to um, ensure that it's it's not repealed and that there's a, a decent system for uh, individuals like in Florida to purchase healthcare um, through the marketplaces. At the end of the day, I, I think that having majority in Congress also just means that we finally have some sort of firewall against the president's rogue agenda. Um, and that's, that's a big deal for us. You know, we haven't had that, um, for two years now. And so going to the next congressional session, I think that really needs to be our priority is playing defense, stopping bad bills, but also setting a, a proactive agenda that will improve lives. Yeah, I know it's tough to predict what's going to come from the Mueller investigation. But given that a lot of people say that those results may be coming out soon, what do you think the Democrats in the House could do if there are if there's evidence of, of wrongdoing? I mean, I, I guess it depends on how egregious the wrongdoing is. But do you think if you were to predict that there's a chance that they will draw up articles of impeachment anytime soon, let's say in early 2019 or whenever the results come out? It's a, I mean, I would not put anything off the table. Yeah. I, I will say, though, on the campaign trail, you did not hear many Democrats talk about impeaching President Trump. It, you know, again, many Democrats who ran for office and won this past election cycle focused on place-based issues. They campaigned on what mattered to their constituents. And in most cases, um, impeaching Trump wasn't, you know, a, a platform issue that rose to the top. But I, I agree that if the issues are really agree, you know, extreme in nature, um, I wouldn't put anything off the table of what um, House Democrats might feel like is the priority for them. So what's your favorite Iranian dish? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, you can't go wrong with ash. <laughs> ash, and, yeah, of course. Yeah, ash, you ash, can't go wrong with this tagi in general. It's one of my, one of my favorites. I and mean, when I teach my American friends, you know, the beauty of, of Iranian rice and, you know, oh, they yeah. call it crunchy rice. It's just, it's always so exciting to see their reaction. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I am a vegetarian. So, you know, my, I'm limited in, in, in Persian food these days and what I can actually eat. And when I first went to Iran in 2005, it was so funny to, um, I let my family know that I was vegetarian because when we first went in 2005, I wasn't vegetarian. But the second year I, I, I made the decision to not eat meat anymore. And my family really struggled <laughs> to <laughs> provide us food. I'll never forget. There was one picnic we had where, um, one of my dad's cousins brought us, uh, you know, pizza, which Iranian pizza is arguably, you know, not necessarily pizza, but yeah. it had, um, you eat it with ketchup, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it had kalbas on it, yeah. a bologna, yeah. and, and they kept saying that's not meat. And I was like, it is. Like, I know <laughs> yeah. it's not real high-quality meat, but it is meat. And so it was such a funny, um, you know, just evolution for us. And But when we do uh, Persian parties for our friends, we, my sister and I host a, a Nowruz party every year, and majority of our guests are, are not Iranians. I mean, again, our, the community here is not is not um, not that big. So it's an opportunity for us to teach our culture to others. And mm -hmm. um, we get a local Parisian restaurant to cater. And it's just, it's always so wonderful to see everyone's reaction when they take a bite of our food. I, yeah, I take right. a lot of pain yeah. in it. 
there are definitely some good vegetarian choices. Cashew badam june is a favorite of mine. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and and masikhiar. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. the basics, right, are yeah. so good too. Of course. Um, yeah, you know what? I got it. My sister's now vegan, so we have to make a vegan version ah. of masikhiar. So I'll 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 work on that with her. Oh, awesome. <laughs> cool. Yeah. You know, my, my first time in Iran um, was in 2005, like I said, and it was to actually bring our mom's ashes there um, and, mm. and release them in the Caspian Sea. So I oh, well. I really wow. want to go back to Iran sooner than later, but the last time I was there was 2007. And, and I do get worried about the political climate between our two countries if, um, you know, my ability to travel to Iran is more limited these days. Yeah, especially now that you're... You're definitely on on the radar there. You're, you have a public profile. I'm sure Absolutely. they know who you are. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I've and I've been really outspoken on um, on human rights in Iran. I've been outspoken on women's rights in particular. And so, um, you know, I, I think I think I'm you know I just to some degree you put yourself at risk and you put your family at risk too. So I I'm, I'm very aware of that. Yeah, um, I would put a trip on hold. No, if I were you. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, what are your future aspirations? Is governorship or running for U.S. <laughs> Congress in, in the picture? Well, I I have a deep love and affection for Florida. Um, oh. So I feel like my aspirations at this point in time is to serve the great people of District 47 well um, for the next two years before I run for re-election again. In the legislature, as a House member, I run for office every two years, and I can do so for up to eight years. And That's so I have my lens on serving um, this district for at least eight years, as long as the voters think I'm doing a good job and continue to send me back. And then we'll see what the what the cards hold after that. I am getting my doctorate right now as well at the University of Central Florida. And so I, I hope to complete my doctorate in about three years. Um, and that I, I'm studying public affairs. So it really does complement my work as a legislator as well. Well, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck with uh, everything you're doing. I know you're super busy, so I'll let you get back to all the legislating that you got to do. And um, hopefully uh, we'll get a chance to connect at some point in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Love, love the opportunity to share our story and to speak to the history that we made right here in Florida. And, you know, I can't wait to see what the future holds for all of us. So thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you found that episode to be productive and interesting. If you did, please share it with your family and friends and review the podcast on iTunes or any of the other platforms. And stay tuned for a lot more great guests coming up. Thanks and take care.